Welcome to the Ritual House Podcast, a show about the rituals we practice, the new ones we create, and the many ways rituals help us live deeper, more meaningful, and more connected lives. I'm your host, Tova Leibovic Douglas, and allow me to be the first one to say, welcome home. Welcome back, listeners. It is the season of light, Festival of Lights. It's Hanukkah. You'll be listening to this at the end of Hanukkah when it's over, but I always feel that joy of that light that holds me and carries me for a little longer. And as it gets darker earlier, I'm just hoping that you are also finding moments to relish in the light in some way. I I'm really excited for you to hear this episode. It's 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 a Jewish episode, <laughs> meaning I feel like there's a lot of inside baseball happening in it. So for those that are unfamiliar with some of the terms, I'm working on not over apologizing over here, but I will say that you can Google them and always feel free to DM me at the ritual.house on Instagram. You can definitely do that if you have questions. It was really such great fun to have Danielle on, who you'll get to know. I want to make a correction after listening to the episode. At some point in our conversation, you'll hear that Danielle asks me about uh, the difference between Haredi and Hasidic Judaism, if there is a difference. And I answered in a particular way. And I, I think what I was answering in that way was actually a historical difference between a group called the Misnagdim and the Hasidim back in the 19th century as opposed to Haredi versus Hasidic. And so you haven't listened to the episode yet. So I know you're all like, what is she talking about? <laughs> but you'll hear it later. Anyway, I want to name that I made that mistake and also hope that you can do your own deep dives on the difference between those groups and to know that there's so many differences within the groups and they're not a monolith. And we get to that in this episode a lot. We talk a lot about how there is so much more than what we give groups credit for and so much more to each one of us. We are not limited by one thing. The episode is about astrology and Judaism, really. And we share how astrology is not inherently anti-Jewish. Although I know that I grew up thinking, it's not that anyone said this explicitly, but I was like, ooh, astrology is basically idol worship, which we're not allowed to do. And that's not exactly true. There certainly, there certainly is a thread that exists that sort of says, limit your intake in terms of this work. Like there's been, there's been a tradition for a long time that is, that has closed astrology from Judaism. But if we look and go further back, there are some traditions that name that Abraham was an astrologer, who is, of course, um, the father of biblical Judaism as we know it. There's traditions that say that say King Solomon was an astrologer. And then there's also just our Mishnah and our Talmud, which have little allusions to astrology throughout it. We have rabbis that are mapping out the stars in order to figure out the best times to do things. And then we also have medieval commentators such as Ibn Ezra, who was a great biblical commentator. And he was known to practice astrology outright. He actually writes about it in his commentary on the Bible. And 
I think there's a lot that's unwritten about Jewish tradition that is connected to what we talk about today, Danielle and I talk about, that is connected to astrology, that is connected to earth-based practices, that is connected to, I'll use the word mysticism, but I think it's limiting. It's that inherently Judaism is far more mystical in its inception than not. And we've lost that. And I think what I feel so grateful for is to have folks like Danielle who are Jewish and who are astrologers and who are maybe unknowingly, not necessarily integrating those worlds, but that both of those pieces are super important to her identity, which therefore blends them together in a way that allows for us to return to a time when I believe astrology was actually just totally part of our tradition. I really love this conversation. I hope that you walk away, first of all, learning from Danielle and her deep well of wisdom as a spiritual leader and astrologer. And you also take away that there's so many hidden pieces of traditions that we are trying to find, we are trying to recover, and that it is up to us to find those, to find those treasures and to find the multiple pathways of our own lives and to step into those as ourselves, really. So it's a really fun episode. Excited for you to meet Danielle. I am just so thrilled to welcome to The Ritual House, Danielle Beinstein, who is someone I am really excited for you to meet. She is a psychological and intuitive astrologer based in Nashville. She received her master's in spiritual psychology with an emphasis in consciousness, health, and healing in 2014, and she offers ongoing private and group consults and facilitation as well as circles and retreats. You can connect with her and learn more of her offerings um, on her website, daniellebeinstein.com, and um, for regular astrological musings, you should definitely follow her on Instagram because that is how I found her. And I wanted to share a little bit about her while I don't know her that well. You know how it goes when you follow someone on Instagram and you sort of feel like you get like a little window into their lives. You might not know the full picture, of course, because it's Instagram, but I feel like what's so unique about Danielle from my experience of getting to know you a little bit and seeing Instagram is that you actually are yourself on Instagram, meaning you are bringing your full self from a practitioner standpoint of being an astrologer who is deeply knowledgeable in your craft and who has studied it in a myriad of ways. And you're bringing all parts of yourself. The fact that you are just someone who travels and notices the small and little beauties um, of life, and you bring that onto your Instagram page. And I think that it really invites a lot of people into a world that they might not otherwise be part of. And that's your world. But through your world, I think a lot of us are part of a bigger world. So I want to thank you for that and welcome you to the Ritual House podcast. I'm so glad you're here. That's such a beautiful introduction. You never know how anything's going to be received. But I think maybe it's a function of being 43 and not being a digital native and not Mm. It's never occurred to me, and I know I'm an outlier in this way, but it's never occurred to me 
to create a persona. Mm. You know what I mean? I On that. social media. Yeah, like I, that's I never it's never occurred to me. It's like I always have felt like someone who can't be put in a box. So I just share whatever. Like I, you know, I, I have a very curious mind. I'm a voracious reader of the classics and of contemporary literature and of long form journalism. But like I also will belt out like or put on Whitney Houston. Like I'm not, you know right. what I'm saying? Totally. Like meaning that yeah. I like pop and I like pop that I grew up with and I'm not the, like I'm not rarefied, but like in terms of art and literature, my taste is more highbrow, but in terms of other things, it's not as high. Like I'm just a mix. I don't yeah. fit into a box. No, you know? of course. I do. I love like Whitney Houston and Celine Dion and like, it's not my top in Spotify, but like, I just love <laughs> big feelings like that. Like just like. I love out, it. You know, yeah. I love it. Also, I mean, you're a Jewish astrologer. So, I mean, that within itself, not to say Correct. not to say that they don't go together. I actually believe that they do. I personally do. And I've like studied that part, the Jewish part. But for most of the listeners that are Jewish. It's in the Torah. I know, of course. And we're going to talk yeah. about it. But like yeah. people are like, what? Astrology? Is that Jewish? And you are actually inhabiting mm -hmm. the both end of that. And I think that's unique too. That's that's not something that everyone can do. So I'm really excited to like hear more about it. Well, I definitely dove in before it was cool, like when I was coming up. So I've been doing it full time for a while. I would say that my entry point into mysticism was when I was 19 and I did a summer. I've, my sisters are eight and 10 years older than me. And my, my summer between freshman and sophomore year of colleges, I lived in San Francisco with them. And San Francisco had just at that point, it had just had its first bubble was kind of crashing, but it, it wasn't what it is now. So it's still, you still had like the Allen Ginsberg city of lights kind of vibe. I took my first ever yoga class. I remember sitting at this coffee shop on lower Fillmore and this guy being like, I don't know, talking, he was older than me and kind of like an avuncular figure. And he said, you're Jewish. Like you need to read the Jew in the Lotus. And that was like the beginning of yeah. kind of opening me up to the mystical. And then I ended up moving to Los Angeles shortly, like a couple of years after college and like found this whole kind of community of Jews right. and connected with that. But I had also in college studied not like a lot of Christianity and the history of Christianity and specifically Jesus as a Jew Ooh. and a political. Oh, rebel. we should talk on a like that was a on another time. I would really like to learn more about that. That's awesome. So I just kind of, again, not in a box, but I definitely feel like there is a subset of the Jewish community, the American Jewish community, because that's the one I'm more familiar with, that is like very yeah. yogi. I, although astrology is different because I do Western, not Vedic. Vedic is more of the Indian right. tradition. Okay. Whereas Western, like etc. What you would think, yes, like our sun sign, etc. They just focus on different things. Western astrology is less focused on one's fate in a way. It makes sense, right? And more focused on how fate and free will work together which is very mm. Western in its core, right? Like the idea of personal yeah. determination, not just predetermination. And that always, because I'm American, that always felt more aligned to me. Whereas 
Vedic. It just didn't land for me the same way. That's not to say it's not accurate. It just didn't, it wasn't my call. Yeah. I'm just imagining that scene in San Francisco, that yoga studio. Like, I feel like I've also had a moment. It wasn't in San Francisco, but it was like in New York, I think. And it was like this moment of like, oh, there's a world. I don't know how you grew up and I want to learn more, but there's a world outside of the world that I grew up in, that this is the way there is a world that is out there doing other things. And there's Jews doing other things that it doesn't have to be one way. Like, yes. And it was like this like lightning bolt for me when it happened. I was like, and also I love that you said the Allen Ginsberg days. Like I, I like, I'm just like remembering, remembering those days when before <laughs> spiritual life was a saturated existence in our every, yes, commercialized. That's probably the best way to describe it. Right. Before, before that happened, there was like a, a specific yeah. energy. And so I'm just really liking that story. I want to ask you a question that I always ask guests that I didn't ask you yet, which is, yeah. do you have a ritual that you remember in your upbringing? And I actually don't even know, were you raised in a Jewish household? Like, was there, and it doesn't have to be Jewish. It could be whatever ritual comes to you before the age of 10, that little Danielle sort of remembers and has like in her heart? Yes. So I'm going to answer all the questions you just asked me or proposed in kind of one. So I grew up in Manhattan. I grew up on the Upper East Side of Manhattan to parents who are both Ashkenazi Jews, but very different. My mom comes from, her brother's a nuclear physicist. They come from a very kind of scientific, from Ohio, perspective on the world, very academic, scientific. And then my father, he grew up in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and his parents both emigrated when they were very young. And he actually didn't finish seventh grade. And he built a business in what we call the schmata business. I don't know if you know that term, which is like the clothing business, right? Yes. I'm glad you defined <laughs> for our listeners. So the I schmata was... business. <laughs> Where the clothing is that? business, right? So- <laughs> yeah. So they, you know, they were an interesting mix and match. And I was raised on the Upper East Side on the very storied kind of Park Avenue and Carnegie Hill. And my parents did not belong there. They will, they will be the first to tell you they didn't belong there. My dad was successful enough in that era, very different from what success looks like today, which is just insane, um, astronomical, but very successful in that era. And the number one thing for both of my parents was education. So that's where the top private schools were or where people who had focused, that was a big focus. So I grew up there and one of the primary rituals of my life. My dad's actually turning 80 and I, I shot a little video for him. And one of the things I said was like growing up food was a huge part. We were very culturally Jewish. We went to temple on the high holidays. I was bat mitzvah in Israel on Masada. Um, instead of having like a big fancy party in America, that's what we did. And I was raised very strongly with the cultural identification, less with the religious. And actually there were periods in my life where I wanted more of the religious aspect, more of the structure of that. But the ritual was that on the weekends, we either were in New York City or we were in Connecticut. When we were in New York City, Barney Greengrass, I don't know if you know this, Barney yes. Greengrass is on the Upper West Side of Manhattan and it is mm -hmm. an institution. And we would go there for Leo, Locks, Eggs and Onions. And my dad always knew everyone that worked there. And that was a big part of my upbringing, the ritualization around food and food mm. as community. So we went to the same kind of Italian restaurants again and again. All the waiters knew 
us, you know, the major dean knew us, the whole thing. And we were very much a part of the community. But then from a very kind of Jewish perspective, our locks and our bagels. And then there was a place in Connecticut called Gold's. And it was the same thing. And that, for me, ritual, which I guess is very Jewish, was always around food. <laughs> I love that. So that is, if I'm honest, I would say that is the ritual that that I remember the most strongly from I my think childhood. It's a beautiful ritual. And I think it's so human. Like why? And I, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted this podcast is like, ritual does not have to be in synagogue. It does not have to be in a fire circle, although it can be all those things. It can also be yeah. like the ritual of like eating food together in a particular way and making that part of your tradition. And I think it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, I my life was... And I'm very grateful for this. Looking back, it was very structured in the world that I was raised in, meaning my friends from school all lived within blocks from me up until 12, 13. And then there were some major shifts. But I went to the same sleep boy camp with the same mm. people. We went, you know, to vacation to the same places. And that looking back, I realized how rare that is. But it really gave me a sense of place from which to launch into a place of wonderlust and discovery. Right. But my upbringing on a structural level, especially until the age of 13, was pretty ironclad. And my parents have their own Michigas, but the world was very structured. And I, I really appreciate that. I think it gave me the strong sense of discipline that I have in my work. You know, I'm not like getting up at 6 a.m. and jogging every morning, but I do, I am <laughs> disciplined in my work. Yeah, you know? I really identify with that. I have, we, not about me today, but like a very similar upbringing of like, this is what we do. <laughs> and I am yeah. on the flip side yeah. as a parent right now, not doing that because of my wonderlessness right? Because I had the privilege of being so contained. And I'm thinking about that a lot for my kids recently. I'm like, ooh, I got to figure out. Not They have routine and stuff, <laughs> but um, yes. but it's very different. <laughs> it's very, very different than like what, what I had, which was quite contained and structured. And there's something about that with ritual, right? Like sometimes when you have that, it can actually invite the ritual in sometimes yes. a little bit more easily. I don't know. I don't know if that resonates for you. It does. You know, I just watched this weekend. I watched this show called Rough Diamonds. Have you no. seen it? Good. It's about ultra-Orthodox Jews in Antwerp, a diamond oh. dynasty. And it's part thriller, but it's mostly family drama. And it's the first time I've seen the ultra-Orthodox portrayed with nuance and That's complexity. Awesome. And felt invited into that world to learn about that world without this kind of like massive judgment, um, deeply human portrayal. And I texted really like my best friend when I was watching it. And I was like, I, I couldn't do this, but I really understand, especially as the world becomes more modern and more overwhelming, the appeal of this or the appeal of the Amish or like living in that structured way. This is your life. It's kind of set up before you. And these are, this is how we devote ourselves to God. And this is what it is because too much choice is not healthy either. There's some kind of happy medium. And I don't know, I was thinking about it a lot. It's a fantastic show. I just was like, oh, let me put this on. I'm kind of curious about this. 
And I, I literally watched all eight episodes this week. I could not oh, turn wow. it off. I was okay, riveted. I'm going to put it on my it's list. so well done. It's yes. just... Yeah, I grew up, I mean, my family, my dad's side is ultra-Orthodox, Hasidic. And so I grew up sort of like, not in it, but in it, like a little bit. And yeah. as yeah. a kid, I was envious at different points of like their ability to just know. Like I remember college admissions and being like, where do I go? What kind of person am I? You know, and I remember talking to my cousin yes. being like, I have like one choice. Like I don't have a choice, you know, and- <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. What? You know, so yeah. as long as you can be in the boxes, and I think for someone like me, I imagine for you too, I don't know, but like it yeah. wouldn't work. But yes, it's complex and yeah. layered. I'm not saying we all need to do that. I'm saying that I understand the astrology. Or- what moved you about it? Wh- like what? what was your... Well, I remember, so I did my freshman year at GW because I thought for sure I was going to be a political culture writer like Maureen Dowd. That's why I like wanted to be when I was like 16. And it's crazy that she's still writing. Like I've been, you know, I don't read her religiously the way I did when I was younger. That's who I wanted to be. So I was like, okay, I'll go to freshman year GW. And then I was like, okay, this is not the right fit for me though. I did. I actually think DC is a completely underrated city. It's got so much to offer, but in that my freshman year, I took sociology from a professor who was great. And I took the intro to Judaism. And I remember thinking, maybe I'll be a rabbi. Like, I remember thinking that, like, maybe I'll be a rabbi. And that same period, I used to hang out a lot at bookstores. And I remember discovering this giant, big blue book called the Book of Birthdays, the Astrological Book of Birthdays. And I flipped it over to my birthday and I was like, what the F is this? Like, how does this know me? This is so strange. And then I would flip and read everybody that I knew, you know, and I was like, this is so crazy. And I was like, what is this? And so at 19, I started studying. I started studying it just kind of on my own. And the only way I can describe it, and this is the metaphor that I've always used, is that I started taking French in fourth grade. I took it through freshman year of college. And I can maybe say a few sentences in French, but... I started studying astrology and I was like, this is a language I understand. I mm. just understand it. And geometry is the only math I'm good at. Mm. And it just felt like if past lives exist, I've done this before. Like you I knew came it. here with this knowledge. I knew it. And I just kept studying and kind of keeping private. it private. I'm curious about that. Well, I wasn't like announcing it. The circles that I were in were kind of, I kind of re- ran away from the Wall Street thing. Although there's some part of me that's like, that's another track I could have taken because I'm very interested in geopolitics and how geopolitics relates to resources. But it didn't, that didn't interest me at the time from that vantage point because my practical brain did not start until my 30s. Right. I was like philosophical, theoretical. I was like anti Wall Street and all. like I didn't understand how you can actually shift systems from within them too. Like I just didn't have that. You were anyway, developmentally so just, the appropriate. People that I was around. I'm, you were developmentally appropriate. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> like, I guess so. Like when I was freshman year at GW, they had, I think I'm actually going to write an essay about this. I uh, They had the IMF and World Bank protests. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like centrist even as a kid, 
And I would, I would be like, I'm definitely pro free speech. I don't know if I agree with everything they're saying. So I'm just going to make like hundreds of vegan peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and hand them out to the protesters so they can sleep there and not need to leave for food. And that's what I did because I'm like, I support, I support the idea of free speech completely. I just don't know if I actually agree with it. So I'll reserve that. (laughs) And figure that out, but I'll make these sandwiches. I was a very strange kid, but I, I love feel it. like, um, <laughs> no, I just think that's actually me. so, what's so great don't... is like, you actually did something about it. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm someone that's like, oh, I support that, but not a hundred percent. So I'm not marching on that for various reasons. Yeah. Okay. But, but you know, like, it, we it's made the sandwiches. I know. Of course. I did. I was very like, I was, uh, you know, into community service and I was very, yeah, I just went through that developmental stage. But anyway, I just wasn't around people who were kind of cool with that. But then when I transferred to NYU and I lived in the East Village, I then started meeting, I was surrounded by artists and creatives and those who were really outside the box and who I would call like emotional refugees. And it was there that I started kind of talking about it, but I never... I didn't feel cool enough to pursue it because it felt so avant-garde. At that point, it wasn't a cool thing or whatever. And then I was, I basically got to a point almost a decade later where I was like, who cares if it's cool? Like, this is a language I understand. And so I just kind of went with it. That's really what happened. But I'm always like, I've always been like, again, should I, like, I could have been a lawyer. Like that was in me. I could have been a screenwriter probably. Like that's why I went to LA to pursue that kind of. Like in your life, were they like, Danielle, you're an astrologer? Were they, was there like a, oh yeah, like was there backlash? Well, I didn't announce it like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause, cause, yeah, cause I just want to say I'm not <laughs> yeah. an astrologer, but I am someone that has studied astrology, someone that's very into it. And I have mm-hmm. all the things that, you know, someone might have like crystals in my house. And initially I like would hide that stuff. Like I would yeah. not. talk about it at all because there's something i don't know if it's jewish i don't know if it's the jewish part i don't know if it's just certain like um more traditional academically rigorous particular even though astrology is very academically i mean it's a different it's a intellectually rigorous (laughs) i think deeply and spiritually rigorous but like there's a path right as you're talking i could have been a lawyer i could have been a screenwriter right there's this like path that like and i don't know again i don't know if it's like the jewish thing but it's like certainly in there and then Doing something that's a little different yes. even is is hard for people. At least that's my experience. I don't know if that's yours or what. Yes. So a couple things. I'm the third. Mm, There's some creative room with the third. There is. Right. There is. You, and my you get to you get to sleep over at you get to sleep over at age like five. You get like all the things, right? Yeah, I was just, the, you know, I think that there's just like, I had more leniency in a way. I think that my dad was really disappointed that I didn't go to law school because that was kind of his dream, even though he never f- finished seventh grade. He's kind of obsessed with the Supreme Court. And I think that he had, and always politics. And I grew up in a house and McNeil Lehrer was always on, like I always was surrounded by political conversation. I think that he is, I think he still is disappointed that I didn't pursue that. But the truth is I really do, did love and was fascinated law for myself, but I just, I don't know. My life just didn't, I had a lot of, 
emotional mishigas and angst that needed to be worked through. And so the way that I worked through was by doing this program in mm-hmm. spiritual psychology. And when I came out of that, it's like, okay, well, I have this master's. I might as well use it, even though I could have used it in a myriad of ways. I was living in Los Angeles. I was living in Venice, California during a time when there was, so it was the early 2010s. And there was just this energy there around mm-hmm. a kind of spiritual talk and spiritual kind of new age from all these different vantage points and like Kundalini yoga and Guru Jagat was mm. coming up. And Amanda Chantal Bacon was creating moon juice. And there was just this like energy in Venice. And like, I can't quite explain it, but I I have nostalgia for it. And I just kind of leaned into that because context, like that was my world. If I were surrounded at that point by, you know, lawyers, I might have taken a different path, but it's like, that's the mix of fate and free will. I found myself immersed in this world. I'd been kind of in adjacent Hollywood, but that never really landed for me. I was like, I'm not cutthroat. Like I don't have that in me. I don't have that because I was kind of trying to maybe do the producer thing. I don't know what I was thinking because that's not how my brain Mm. works. Like I'm um, producing would drive me insane. I don't even know what I was thinking, but I think I just was like, it just flowed in a way that these other things didn't. And I always had in the back of my mind, maybe I should take the LSATs. Maybe I should take the LSATs, but it, it just never flowed. And I never wanted it enough to really We have so many that. lawyers. I'm sure you would have made a great one. <laughs> so glad that you chose the path you chose. I mean, like, really? <laughs> no, I don't mean that in like a justification. It's just interesting. I'm just having the conversation kind of aloud. Like, yeah. it is interesting. Like, that's in me, you know? Totally. It's something I that I think it. that this is what I want to get at. I think we have this idea. And I think when I was starting out more, like maybe even seven years ago, I've been doing this for 10 years, but like seven years ago when people would ask and you know, when something is taking off and like you're confident, you're like, this is my thing. I think the thing about getting older is you you do see what Cheryl Strayed calls the ghost ships of your life. You do see what other paths you could take. And I think that it's kind of the folly of the young that you go, no, there's only a singular path in front of me. And I guess that's what I'm referring to. Like I, there's all these different ways I could have gone And this is the way that I went for a myriad of reasons. And just to ask you, astrologically speaking, does it also show that in, not that you have to go into the details of your chart, of course, but like, does it show that too, right? In a chart that like, there's multiple ways, right? Very, very much so. And so I actually am curious, do you live your life that way? Meaning like sort of looking at the chart and being like, oh, I'm evolving, oh. I'm evolving. Look, my whatever your rant. I'm not gonna. I, I whatever the transit of yes, this is happening. That's accurate. It is the right? Uranus. I, mean, I know. That's I know accurate. astrology. I the, just pretend like planet. I don't. That is the planet. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. I just want to share as a parent. I have a kid that is literally. Saw, I was looking at my astrology chart, and and she was just like, "What is that?" And I was explaining when she's like, uh-huh. "Why don't they teach that in school?" And she's just like. <laughs> This makes so much more sense than anything I'm learning in school. So there are people, because for me, the chart is like, this is why I'm not an astrologer. I mean, there's many reasons why I'm not an astrologer, but like the chart visually for me is like a little bit like, whoa, what is this? But for her, it's like an in, like an in to like something. That's how I felt. Yeah. That's how I felt. I could just look at it and I could read it. Yeah, you kind of knew. And 
I just, it's, what's so cool about astrology is that it's timeless in a way, you know? Like, it's like you can see oneself, oh, yeah. right, doing this in past lives. I know that's how I feel when I'm doing it. And I just want to say, because we touched on it, it is Jewishly not only permitted, but like many of the great rabbis were astrologers too. Do you know that? I actually didn't know that. I knew like Mazel Tov, me, like the loose translation is like, may the stars be aligned, something exactly. to that effect. I know that like in the Torah, there's mentions of it, but that makes sense to me. And it's so funny because during 2020, you know, I had people in my DMs when culture, the concept of cultural appropriation really mushroomed in the collective. And I had someone, you know, a bunch of people come into my DMs and be like, you're culturally appropriating. And I was like, mm, I'm actually not. This is actually like deeply embedded in my tradition. I'm not. And cultural appropriation can be a very dangerous road yeah. to go down because like, I mean, the, the anti-cultural appropriation, because isn't what's beautiful is we bring all the cultures together and it's a whole other conversation. But I, people did slide and like, you should be, you should, and da da. And I was like, hmm, it's actually like deeply part of my tradition and roots, but that's okay. Yeah. You know, well, like I didn't, it's just so interesting how people yeah. don't know that. Well, I think that's what's so interesting also about Judaism, just we can have this conversation for one moment is like, we are a people, right? We are a religion, we are a people, mm -hmm. and we do adapt to any environment that we've lived in yeah. forever, like every single time. Yeah. And so whenever astrology, Zoroastrian astrology, which was happening when Judaism was forming, right? That's gonna be part of it in some way. And then like when yeah. we were living in Greco-Roman, right? Like that was, and that became part of it. And that's like always how Judaism, that's why we have been able to survive really, is we've always sort of found ways to adapt to our culture. And then, but it's not an appropriation. It's more just like living. It's as if like, if you were living in Greco-Roman times, I think it would be like very strange to not adapt to certain cultural norms. That's exactly it. I think that that it, it's just someone who was angry and wanted to release that anger. But I think that there is something, you know, when I think about Judaism, my relationship to Judaism. So I grew up in basically an atheist home, culturally mm -hmm. Jewish. I myself believe very strongly in God. It's a very, very, very foundational part of who I am. And that was on my own accord. Because I think my parents still would consider themselves atheist or agnostic, but very strongly culturally. But I do. I believe very, very strongly in God. And I think that there is something about Judaism. One of the things that I find so beautiful is first, like the connection to the earth and the sky, meaning that many of the Jewish holidays are on lunar events or is on a kind of lunar calendar. Right? And most of them are, are The Jewish on. New Year. Yeah. Yep. Is on an is on a new moon, right? All of that. And then the connection to the earth, to the harvest, to the yep. land. Yep. And on top of that, to inquire, to be learned, to ask questions. And so in all those ways, I'm deeply, right. deeply Jewish, even if I don't wash my hands upon waking in that particular way. Oh, Does that make 100%. sense? 100%. And what's been so sad for me is that Judaism has been cut off from what you're talking about, right? It's essential components, in my opinion, 
right, right. Like, and this is an opinion, but yes. I, I actually think yes. it's truth in some way. Like the earth-based formation of Jewish life, like being super connected to the moon, to the earth, to the different mm-hmm. elements are like essential components of our rituals. And like, we've like cut ourselves off from that. We've become, I, I love that we're great learners and we're the people of the book and we study. It's a beautiful yeah area like it's something that I cherish personally and that that was my end to everything but this other element is like equally compelling and equally part of it so of course what you're practicing is very Jewish and it's something I try to work with my people like it's okay if you're not going to synagogue and like studying Talmud like that's a way but there are many ways to be Jewish and I want us to get back to it it's part of the reason I'm doing the ritual house I I want us to get back to that part and you're doing it right you're doing circles right you you were mentioning that right yes yes I do I do circles a uh, new moon circles new moon which circles. feel Rosh you're doing Rosh connected in the way you're doing the start of the month. Is that what That's that what, is? Yes. We literally yeah. have done new moon circles, women in particular, since the dawn of time. Yeah. That's what we did. You're doing it. Oh my God. I love that. That's what, that's exactly what I do on the new moon. So I got this book called Ashkenazi Herbalism. Oh, I read that. I think that you did. I read that. I, read I haven't, that. I just got, I have not really cracked it. Is it it's, great? It's amazing and it's like really dense, like meaning it's it for me, it took a while to read, but like because there was so yeah. much information and I still look at it like a lot, like it's a great book. It's like one of the only ones that is out there. Yes, I feel like so I think about my mom's family don't really know. I think my mom is probably third generation American. My dad is first generation. And I think about where at least my father's father, the family, most of them were murdered in the Holocaust, but that they lived near Bialystok. And so they, they were connected to the land. They were bakers and rabbis, as I understand yep. them. Mm-hmm. That, that's what, they, what the history was there. Um, they had a stone bakery, apparently, but connected to the land. And so I feel in some way, some connection to that ancestry, like skipping over my dad and my dad's parents, even though my dad's dad was born there. I don't know. There's something that I feel connected to in that. Like they must have been, they had to live off the land, right? In that way. They did. And that sense of community. So I think it's a function of the new totally. world, right? Yeah. And living in cities, primarily getting, you know, not yeah. even knowing where our food yeah. comes from, you know, all the things that we all experience, not just Jewish yeah. people, right? Like we're all just sort of detached. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, Hasidic Judaism, which is one of the, it's not new, but it like started in the 1800s. It started literally because Baal Shem Tov was just like, you know, Anyone should be able to lead prayer and to pray. You don't have to know how to read because not everyone, right? Not everyone was like literate. People are super poor and like working, working the land and find, you know, finding ways to make ends meet. Yeah. And he yeah. was just super connected to the trees and to singing and to and to connecting to God. And really? like yes, totally. And then here, you know, look at where we're at with that. And I I come from Hasidic roots. So I've been really into it, like just sort of like learning more about my my personal history and yeah, we're so connected, so connected. And it was literally our grandparents' generation, really. So 
maybe for you, great grandparents, because yeah. of you know, but like it's not far removed. It's pretty close. What is forgive this? What is the difference between Hasidic and Haredi or Haredi? Haredi. How do you yeah. Haredi. 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 You could say Haredi. Haredi. Yeah, you got it. Yeah. Haredi. Um, so people yeah. would answer this differently. I'll answer it just in my own way, if that's okay. Um, yes. I think Haredi and Hasidic sort of started around the same time, and they were both reactions in some ways to one another. So Hasidic was you know, like, no, not everyone needs to just like sit and learn all day and like, and study the mitzvot, the laws, we need to live them mm. out, we need to, you know, do it in different ways. Right. And Haredi was like, yeah, but if you don't know it, if you don't actually know it, and know what it says, and really deeply learn from an intellectual standpoint, then how can you really live it? And I think both just sort of lived out that differently. Um, and then they ended up you know, being at war, not oh, war, okay. but like in competition with one yeah. another and how they did it. Hasidic also, they have a tradition of a Rebbe dynasty. So they are very right. connected to their Rebbe's, their rabbis um, okay. in a way that Haredi, right. they, they might have, but it's not as prominent. And like I, today, how that plays out, I think the Rebbe thing is a big thing that distinguishes them. The Nigoons, the singing that they do is going to be different. But I mm -hmm. will say, as someone that comes from Hasidish roots, there's like what what my family will say, like in in inner circle, you know, is like <laughs> what we just like love it more. <laughs> we have more, you know, sing songy, uh, <laughs> like it. you know, like we 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 are more <laughs> full of life, you know. Like there's some sort of like, you know, and then obviously interesting. With, Within those, they each have so many different sects, like different divisions. Yeah. So it's like, it's honestly been, in my opinion, very diluted to like what it actually was. In its inception, they both were really trying to connect more deeply somehow to Judaism. But it's not regional. Both come from the Eastern European. They, Eastern European, but different regions within it. You know, like each town different okay. kind of thing that like right Haredi is a lot but of there's no Sephardic Hasidic there's no Are Hasidic there Sephardic, Sephardic. Hasidic? no I don't yeah. well I shouldn't say definitively yeah. but not that I know of no Sephardic they have their own line of you know deeply connected ultra orthodox fundamentally <laughs> like I mean I, I don't want to like let, you know they <laughs> right. have their own lines of yes. things but very different like we weren't as connected and I find that to be really interesting to see how Sephardic Judaism, like, you know, and they, by the way, for the most part, I should say they, and it's also so like limited, right? Because even Eastern Europe, Hungarian, Hasidic, Haredi are very different than like Polish, right? Like there's so many different ways to right. be Jewish. That makes sense. Right? Yes. And then Sephardic, like they, for the most part, like are more connected to what we're, we were just talking about, that earth-based, herbalistic. Yes, yes. Like, Deeply yes. and still Often less um, assimilated yes, and in the way. Still, like yes. my my friends who are who are Spartic, I will go to their houses and their moms will be like, "You look a little tired. I'm gonna make you the specific tea that, like, you know, this is the kind of tea, and you have to drink it." And I'm like, "Yes, what are you? Are you making? A, are you wit? Like when I was a kid, I was like, "Are you like?" And I loved it. I was so drawn yeah. to it. But they're they're in that more than we are. Well, I remember when I moved to Los Angeles you know, in my, I was 25 and all of a sudden I 
really met for the first time, like all these Sephardic Jews, these Persian Jews, because in New York City, at least in the world, that I, there really isn't a strong population in the way that there is in Los Angeles. And it really opened my eyes because I was just talking about this with someone on a different podcast. It is a different yeah. culture. It's just a different culture. And totally. that it's was really eye-opening to me. And I think that it really is. And I think that there is something... This, so this is the very reason why I don't believe in identity politics, because Jewish is a giant umbrella. Not you have you have both different belief systems, many different belief systems, but also the individual and how the individual relates to those belief systems. And I think one of the things that any of us who grows up in a certain bubble, we think, oh, this is, this is it. This is the way it is. And one of the things I think reason I love traveling is I learn, learning about different cultures and different ways that people relate to the land and the foods and the culture and the arts surrounding them. And that's the wonderlust in me. But I think that was a real, like really the first time embarrassingly, because it's not super young, that I was like, oh, this is very, very, very different. Like this is, there's a lot for me to learn here. And there's a lot of, uh, I think, really beautiful Sephardic traditions that we don't have in the more Ashkenazi. And the food is incredible. There's that too. Yeah. And to pretend like we're all a monolith is so silly. I mean, I, I actually did grow up in a community that is very mixed, Persian and Ashkenazi. And um, I feel very grateful for that because I, yeah, I just knew it, you know, like it was part of, you know, I knew it yeah. wasn't my particular tradition, but I knew it was a Jewish tradition. And I like totally respected it from like a very young age. And really, I think in some ways, you know, I think like certain rituals that I noticed in those communities really inform how I want to do ritual today, too. Like it's really I, I didn't get it from my necessarily from my Ashkenazi, you know what I mean? Like, because because yeah. we're a little bit more detached. Yes, so there's I do. something there's something there. Yeah. Can I ask a question about? I know we have to wrap up soon, but I wanted to ask a question. I was curious. Do you have a ritual when you're doing astrology? Is like is does it feel ritualistic to you? Does it feel like a job to you? Does it feel spiritual? What does it feel like to you to practice it? Oh, that's such an, I've never been asked that. There's something that happens when I am working with a client. It's like a different part of me takes over and I really go into an unconditionally loving space. Like I really do hold that. It is so sacred to me. So that in and of itself feels spiritual. Like what is the space that I'm holding? There are sensual rituals I have, meaning things like candles and incense. And I almost always have some tea, usually some pu'er or some kind Pu'er is a, I'm not a tea expert, but it's a certain kind of aged Chinese tea mm. that is actually used in ceremony. So people who are very, might say like, you're not supposed to drink that while you're, you know, in action. Like I go to, I go to silent tea ceremony all the time and we drink usually mm. pu'er, but my tea drawer is insane. Like the amount of, I love tea and I mean, I love like a London fog or a chai, but this is like, you know, different kind of aged teas, Taiwanese and Chinese teas. And so there's just kind of a something that happens when I set the stage in that way, a kind of 
ritual. And then there's the ritual of I come upstairs and my dogs jump on the bed behind, like it's my office, but it's kind of also the guest room and they sleep on the bed behind me while I do it. And there's a kind of ritual to all of that, that kind of sets me in a state. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. When I'm doing it, I don't know where it's coming from. Like I could say it's intuition or it's intellect, but something else is happening. Mm. And it doesn't feel devotional in a like creepy way, but there's something that feels devotional on a bigger scale. Yeah. And I feel, I guess I kind of think of myself as, I mean, there's part of me that thinks of myself as like a witch in the woods because now I live out in the woods in I Tennessee. Love that. And then there's kind of a part of me that like thinks of myself as like one of like the women, woman who lives in a cottage in a town that is always inviting someone over for tea to provide guidance. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that, that's kind of the energy that I hold or like to hold. And then I open my house up for circles. So there's that kind I of love ritual. It. That's so so I guess that, I don't know if that answers no, your question. No, it totally does. And I love that image, both of them, the the witch in the woods, which I, I just love that. And I, I love the idea of being like a wise woman, you know, having tea and book, you know, books there. And and I, I do think that that is how we, how we lived for a long time. We relied on people that had wisdom yes. that we didn't have and we went and we got it and then it helped us. And now we, we have all the things, but we still need those guides. You know, we still, we still all need them in some way. Yes. I think what's really missing in our culture is true, like grandmother wisdom. It yes. seems to me like a lot of what pop psychology is, is kind of extremist. Like, you know, there was this hyper focus on codependence is bad, except we need people like humans need people. We need people. So how yeah. do you, I feel like a lot of it comes down to like memes and that's not a lot of people who are also giving advice are in their twenties and thirties. Now I was doing that, a version of that in my thirties, but I really hope to really grow into my yeah. craft. I'm in my forties. I'm almost in my mid forties, forties, fifties, sixties. Like I forget the fact that I have a chart that's like all about late bloomer. There's something about having lived and, and recognize that you fall down and you get back up. Yes. And you don't get con to control yes. everything. And there are greater forces at work. And who do you want to be? I think a lot of it is like in our virtue signaling world, it's like, I, I want people to think of me this way. So I'll put this out there, right. but who are you every day? Right. Like that, yeah. the mark of character. Yes. Like, and to integrity. me, that's really integrity. And I feel like that is a lot of the essence of my work is like drawing people into, you know, their relationship with their self, their relationship in their relationship and their relationship to their community, whatever that means for them. Right. right. And really like growing up, like yeah. we, I, I see all these memes about, you know, the Saturn return is the worst thing ever. It happens when you're 29 and like, you should be afraid of it. And it's like all the Saturn return is about is adulting and taking on responsibility of adulthood. So like, you know, really like, what is the bat mitzvah? I mean, it's very young in our modern culture, right? But like, what is that? It's saying like, you are now a man or a woman, right? Yeah. Like, what are the responsibilities? So that, like, I like to get back to 
that place and I try to live from that place. I'm not perfect by any means. And I'm not really like a, I hold circles at my house and I do my work, but I am, I'm more introverted. That's yeah. how I show up in the world. I am yeah. not like a, you know, I'm not an activist, just not my personality in this lifetime. Hence the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches being handed out. Like I just, that's other people's role. That's just not what I feel I'm here to do. And so I just try to do what I feel I'm here to do in the utmost integrity with the greatest sense of purpose. That's it. Mm. Like, it, you know what I mean? And that that's deeply fulfilling for yeah. me. And But that's hard for most people today. And I think part of it is what you're talking about, that memes, those Instagrams, the expectation of what one is supposed to be, whatever that's supposed to is. Yeah. And you are, and I think it seems like from getting to know you, like you've been able to quiet the supposed to's and the shoulds. I'm not saying that you haven't felt them in your life. Of course you have. But yeah. you've been able to quiet them. Yes, quiet them before social media. Right. I quieted, I bef and I think that gave me a certain, yeah, I think it gave me a certain kind of foundation yeah. that I did that before. Because right. who are you really? Like you, but me, right? Like who we are, that's yeah. like, that's a lifetime's work of figuring out, but it's hard to do if there's a cloud of expectations of shoulds, you know? And your work helps people find that again or re remember it, you know? Like you get to help people remember it. I know my session with you, I was like, oh, right. that That's part of me. I'm like, oh, you see that I'm an introvert on the chart? Yeah. Yeah, I am an introvert. Just didn't know it until like the pandemic, you know, and it's so affirming, yes. you know? Yes, because I think humans, we humans are notoriously terrible yes. narrators and like of our own life, right? Like the way that we see ourselves is not necessarily how other people see us. And so it's like, helping clients to see, okay, like, for example, I'll have someone say to me, they're like, I don't feel connected to this enterprising Aries energy. And then we go through their life and like, they started five businesses. They did that. It's like, your actions are very revealing more than the story that you're telling yourself. Right. 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 And so there's a lot of that of like a self-acknowledgement and understanding that Oh my I gosh, Danielle, we can talk all day. I have one last question to close, if that's okay. Do you have yeah. a ritual that sustains you in the everyday or like a ritual that comes to mind where you're like, oh yeah, that is like, that's a ritual that like nourishes my soul. Do you have one that you want to share? I would say the one would be the, the kind of like walk in the woods with the pups that I do pretty much every day. Before I lived out here it, and before I had dogs, I would say my walks to yeah. wherever I lived in, in urban places, like walking to me is, it, I don't know. It's, it, it's why I love traveling to cities and just like drop me off and I'll just walk for miles and miles and miles. Mm. And it's, it drives people who travel with me crazy because <laughs> I'm just like, let's just keep going, keep going, keep going. It drives them insane. I would say that. And then my reading, I, I just, I love to read. I just, it's very soothing to my soul, especially literature. Amazing. So thank you. Those are great. And I do pray. I do pray. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here more. I hope soon. Thank you for having me.
such a good conversation. I just, so many leftovers for me on that one. So many more discussions I want to have. The mix of fate and free will, the energy that we need to lean into. Jesus is a political rebel. New moon circles, multiple pathways. Oh gosh, all of it. Anyway, this week, invitation for you for ritual. I have two based on what Danielle shared. One, a walk, a walk of intention, a walk with intention and attention. What does it look like for you to take a walk around your block with intention and attention? What would it look like for you to use walking as a form of ritual? So that's one. The second, as we are getting ready and we are in this winter season and holiday season, I am really interested in finding ways to consciously ritualize the things that I already do. So for instance, reading that Danielle brought up, what does it look like to make a cup of a hot drink of some kind? And I'll let you insert the kind you want, maybe hot cocoa, maybe coffee, maybe tea, maybe hot water and lemon. Find a spot that is cozy and comfy. And before opening your book for reading, say some sort of mantra or connect to yourself saying, this is a ritual I'm practicing today. Do it in like a time-bound way, meaning give yourself like some amount of time and you could use all the time or some of the time and see what it feels like to take something that you already do in your life and ritualize it. I think it helps us. If you want to add a candle, candles always help. So happy weekend. Thanks for being here. I hope the stars align for all of us. Thank you for listening to the Ritual House podcast. Please be sure to follow the show on whichever platform you are listening to this right now so that you'll never miss an episode. And as we grow the show, we want to hear about the rituals that are meaningful to you. We invite you to share your ritual practices with us. You can DM us at theritual.house on Instagram or find us on our website, www.theritual.house. Also, as a new show, your feedback is really important to us. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts and write us a review. And if you enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend? We'll see you back here next week to continue the ritual revolution. In the meantime, I'm wishing you a week filled with intention and attention. Take good care.